serve your audience, give the audience what they need. And your audience need you to give them a decent message and a decent takeaway. And they need you to be in control. And they need you to just get up there and be brave. And the audience don't really care if you're nervous or not. They just want you to give them something. And I think quite often the penny drops when I'm working with people. And they think, oh, gosh. Yeah, I've never actually thought of it like that. <laughs> I've never served my audience. <laughs> This is the Ideas Lab podcast, where you can learn from great creative and entrepreneurial minds how to turn your ideas into original businesses, books, and brands. Because in a crowded world, it pays to stand out. This is your host, John Williams, best-selling author and founder of the Ideas Lab London. This is a fun episode of the Ideas Lab podcast. If you suffer from glossophobia or the fear of public speaking, then listen to the advice of Esther Stanhope, former BBC senior producer and author of the new book, Goodbye Glossophobia, Banish Your Fear of Public Speaking. So hello, Esther. Thanks for making time to join us on the Ideas Lab podcast. Hello, John. Thank you for having me on the Ideas on the Ideas podcast. It's a real pleasure because I know that you've had some great guests and now I'm on your lineup. Indeed. And um, I wanted to talk to you because I saw you've got this new book out and you've had a successful launch. Um, Goodbye Glossophobia. Who is this published by? It's published by Filament Publishing and um, and it's designed by LMPP Studio or Patrick, the guy at LMPP Studio. And he we cooked up the idea of using the Lichtenstein pop art picture and then putting me on it. Oh, right. It looks fantastic because if you look inside, it looks pretty cool, doesn't it, all the way through. That's a, that is a really nice design job. I love it. I like it. Do you know what? It smells like it's really good. And you know what? Some of the best feedback I've got so far from my very serious senior clients, you know, that work in banks, like proper serious people, one of the best comments I had from this very serious proper person was, Oh my goodness, it hasn't just got words in it. I'm definitely reading it now. <laughs> this is what people want. I'm going to do a book yeah. like this. The fact that there's a picture of Obama there, you know, like just, they like one sentence here and there, you know, lips, remember to smile, you know, just silly kind of easy, you know, chunks. Look at yourself in the mirror. It's bite-sized chunks and it's got loads of little tips, like should you imagine the audience naked and things like that. And um, should you should you imagine the audience naked, John? Audio, well, spoiler alert, why didn't you tell us? <laughs> Actually, my rule of thumb is don't imagine the audience are naked. And I'll tell you why. It could be very distracting. <laughs> yes, depending on who the audience is. And, and, and you know, I've, I've got loads of tips and tricks and um, strategies. If you are scared of public speaking or you're fearful of your audience judging you and you're worried about all the eyes on you. The problem with imagining the audience naked is that you're, then you're going to use up bits of your brain that you really need to be using for other purposes, like to build your confidence and your content and to deliver your message. And if you're thinking of, well, I don't want to say, John. <laughs> and glossophobia is not, we should explain what glossophobia is in case it isn't yeah. obvious. Funnily enough, funnily enough, my sister speaks Greek. So my sister said, oh, glosso, that's the ancient Greek word for tongue. And she knew it was the fear of speaking. It is actually a word. In fact, if you if you look it up on online, it says glossophobia, 
75% of us um, feel this fear of public speaking, including Prince Harry. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, apparently Prince Harry doesn't like public speaking. Have you sent him a copy of the book then? Do you know what? I'm go- that's that he's next on my list, John. Good idea. I know who else doesn't like public speaking. Richard Branson. He doesn't like public speaking. So glossophobia is the fear of public speaking. And we, we know it's this huge, like, you know, supposedly Seinfeld used to have that great joke of like more people are afraid of public speaking than they are of dying, which means that if you're at a funeral, more people would rather be in the coffin than given the eulogy. It, it is a huge thing. And can you really tackle that? What if, you've got, if you're going to give us one tip right now, which would, if anyone's got a talk coming up, I've got clients who do this kind of stuff as well. So they give me some good tips. But for anyone who is terrified of speaking, what's something you could tell us that might make a difference quite quickly? Okay, I'm going to give you two, a a quick fix tip and then a longer term tip, right? And just before I do my two, my quick fix and my long term um, tip, just on the subject of Richard Branson and Prince Mm -hmm. Happy, and we we can go back to this topic, but I am an extrovert and my husband is a typical introvert. He thinks before he speaks, I speak before I think. It's very simple. What I've noticed is that extroverts really confident looking and they're good at chit chat good at off the cuff quite often not very good at public speaking so somebody mm-hmm. like richard branson is sparky creative um outgoing not good at public speaking prince harry similar my husband who's much more introvert as a person he thinks first he quite likes public speaking because he doesn't get interrupted and so that was a real revelation for me to realize oh after all these years I've realized one of the reasons I'm not so good at, I didn't feel confident and comfortable in front of an audience myself. It took me ages to get confident. I was awful. I was so nervous. My mind used to go blank. So this is why these tips absolutely work because I've actually tried them on myself. I had all the classics, mind going blank, terrified, avoiding it, going red, coming out in a rash, sweating, no saliva, it's horrible. Like saliva is the first thing to disappear when you are really, really fearful, and it, that's something, something. There's a phy- physiological, biological reason why the saliva disappears out of your mouth. Um, but so two quick tips. The first one, a quick fix. It can take you under a minute to get your frontal cortex working. Because what happens when you're in a state of fear and you're like, I've got to go. On, I've got to, you know, got to speak. Ugh. But this is obviously before you get on the stage. So when you're in that waiting in the wings stage and you've got a spare minute, it's really, really simple. All you've got to do is get your heart rate down because when your heart rate goes up, that's when your your brain goes fear and you have, you know, the classic lizard brain or whatever, monkey brain where you have fight, flight or freeze. And what happens is that basically your brain, your frontal cortex goes Mm-mm, fight, flight or freeze. So you're probably... The freeze is what stage fright is. So your brain literally just empties out. You can't even remember your name. And I've experienced that. Have you experienced that, John? I don't know if I've had a complete freeze. I've probably had moments because my memory doesn't work very well anyway when I've forgotten something. But I did have a moment when I was giving a talk in front of about 500 HR people and stuff like that, where I suddenly felt really, really nervous, kind of panicky. And I'm, I'm quite proud of the fact that I could... I, could now manage myself well enough but I could I I talked for a bit I mean I said could somebody give me a glass of water by the way and somebody <laughs> went and got me a glass of water and I drank it so with a dry mouth and stuff 
and it, it enabled me to to be with the anxiety and ride it and surf it rather than having it escalate and, and mean I'd turn into a jibbing wreck or something. And it, I mean, I was fine after the first couple of minutes. Normally, I'm okay. Normally, I'm okay. I'm going to call that an, uh, a Don Williams strategy then because, oh, I have a glass of water. You know who did that? I went to a concert with my daughter. It was the Capital Radio ball thing. And Sean Mendes, the heart the teen heartthrob, did exactly that. He goes, can I have some water? Anyone got some water up here? So he's like, you must be a rock star, John. I mean, that's a great strategy. So here's the thing. So in order to get your immediate nerves down in under a minute, all you've got to do is breathe slowly. So you imagine your finger is a candle and you blow out the candle for 10 beats and you smell the roses for eight beats. Okay, you do that about three times. Blow out the candle, smell the roses. Now, in my BBC career, I've met a lot of actors, and I've met a lot of performers, and a lot of actors tell me, they've given me all kinds of techniques from kind of tapping to breathing. But I definitely heard, I've definitely heard that um, actors, when they go on a stage, sometimes they're blowing, um, you blow out as you walk on the stage. When you're just about to, to speak, you smell the roses <laughs> so blow out the candle smell the roses if you do that um about three or four times really slowly in within a minute you can get rid of cortisol which is a st- stress hormone so slow breathing absolutely gets your brain back in action so that's the quick fix the longer term fix and this absolutely works you just have to do it Feel the fear and do it anyway. And you have to ride it. As you said, ride the anxiety, ride it. Just accept it. Just say, I am now out of my comfort zone. I am now stretching my comfort zone. I actually feel really uncomfortable. Now I'm sweating. I am seriously not enjoying this sensation, but I'm going to ride it. Because every time you do it, it's a bit like when you when you learn to drive and you think, how could I ever drive this car and just be you know, relaxed and looking in the mirror and listening to the radio, you know, but the more you do it, the more it becomes normal. The more you do it, the more it becomes normal. But what happens is that people go, oh, well, you know, every quarter I have to, you know, my clients that work in banks and stuff, it's like they have to do this quarterly town hall in front of a thousand people. So basically you're going to have a nightmare every three months. So every three months you're going to have diarrhea, not sleepless nights, feeling terrible, and then you're going to reinvent the wheel every time. Whereas when you speak regularly, you don't reinvent the wheel every time because A, you've got the material and you can upcycle your material. It's about always being ready with some material that you can use. So obviously as a speaker, I'm speaking all the time and now being on a stage in front of a thousand people has become my comfort zone. I mean, I might kind of think, whoo, gosh, I hope the tech doesn't fail me or, you know, when things go a bit wrong, you get that kind of that adrenaline rush. Um, but I used to dread it. I used to have sleepless nights, have to go to the loo. <laughs> and I used to be in the cubicle doing my power pose, my, you know, I used to, you know, literally talking to myself, you can do this, you, you can do this, you know. Um, and, and really, you really can overcome it. I have totally overcome my fear. And it is a lot, it's a lot about practice, isn't it? As you say, I mean, there is all those kind of things you teach and, and then practice also makes a big difference. And, and 
Also, because my style, and maybe, I don't know about yours, you're in the corporate environment, because my style is quite informal. It's like, it's part of my brand that I would ask for a glass of water in the middle of a talk, because I'm not prissy. I'm not, I'm not formal. And so it's, it's like, I'm a human being. And actually, my talk was about how, um, about the kind of person you want in your company, who's the most valuable, which is somebody who's a player rather than a worker. So my talk was kind of, playful and, and i think when you realize that um it's not the end of the world if you a if you look a bit nervous or or, or something people aren't going to think you're a complete loser uh, but most of all mostly people actually um can't tell can they a lot less than we think unless people are kind of really you know lose it i mean my experience is that often people go i was terrified and you you couldn't really, they didn't, they weren't shaking or anything. You, they might not have given a great performance, a great talk, but I think often you can't tell. Absolutely. I mean, you, you've touched on a couple of things there. So first of all, when you talk about your brand, your brand is informal. Um, that's great. A lot of people just haven't identified their brand. And when you say, oh yeah, that's my brand, they go, oh, what? What do you mean brand? Oh, oh have I got a brand? What's my brand? And people kind of panic a little bit. Um, and, and here's the other thing is that, you're right. Everyone has a brand or, you know, rather than get bogged down with the, the labeling of personal brand, um, everyone's got their own, the way they are. You know, you walk on stage, you are, what are you portraying? What do people see? Um, a lot of the time people just don't know what, how to operate as themselves. So they walk on and they, or there's somebody's told them to do this awful presentation and it's somebody else's language, somebody else's words, some awful bullet points. And they just haven't approached it. In, in if you approach a presentation with somebody, somebody's telling you this is the message, this is the company line, these are the bullet points, these are the bullet points, endless frigging information. You know that's just the, the worst starting point. And, and a lot of people say to me, "But I have to do it like this. These are the standard slides." Or the, we, uh, my my boss has told me that I have to have this message. Or we have to do it like this. We've always done it like this. The, these are the the templates. And I'm thinking, no. You know, when someone says, I've got the SSD, and I said, what's the SSD? And it's like, oh, it's a standard slide deck. I said, the fact that you have a standard slide deck, just burn it now. <laughs> so the, the thing is, though, you know that your brand and your style is informal. Um, and my advice really is that actually the more formal the setting, so the more corporate, sometimes the manner in which that you want to present, it needs to be really informal. But people argue with me and say, but I've got to be professional, I've got to be professional. And it's really difficult to, to find that line between, you know, sense of humor, but not a clown. You know, you can be professional with a sense of humor. So also my book is filled with discovering what that it, what that brand you is, discovering what your best, what your strengths are, what your USP, your unique selling proposition is. What is your personality? Are you bubbly? Are you a chatty person? You can still be the CEO or you can still be very professional, but you're funny and chatty and you've got a sense of humor. Brilliant. Bring that into the room. And a lot of people just don't feel comfortable being themselves. So they end up with some awful script that they've got to learn and they end up being a bad actor. And, and that's and that's really not help your nerves at all. And I think it's, it's interesting. It, there's a profound thing here, which is that you have to, um, I don't know if you might sum it up quickly, but it's the, the shift you make from being an employee to an entrepreneur is rather than seeing, rather than ticking boxes and following rules, 
it's doing what you believe is right and and driving things to make them work. And that's the biggest mind shift people have to make. Now, I think there's something here that inside a company, inside a big corporation, there are those who are more worried about how you appear and end up completely disconnected from the content of their talk. Whereas if they could say, actually, I do believe in what I'm trying to say here in this talk, and I'm going to I'm going to relate everything I say to what I really feel in my gut, which is I really feel we need to adopt these new standards or whatever it is, or like, you know, everyone needs to know our financial report because everyone's got to be informed about this. And, and if you really believe it, if you can somehow connect to that rather than standard slide deck, I have to do this, uh, let's tick this box. I would imagine that's going to get you a better result, isn't it? Even in a pretty straight corporation. Absolutely. And I, I work with lots of different people. I work with entrepreneurs as well and, and business owners, um, a lot of leaders. Um, quite a lot of the time, people don't give themselves permission to be themselves and go with their gut. They don't give themselves the permission to do it. So it's like, oh, am I really allowed to, you know, say what I think? Am I allowed to? It's like, yes. Um, and the other day I was well, I was working with somebody who's very, very senior. She had to um, do a, say a few words at a dinner at this big conference. Absolutely terrified. There were going to be some very, very senior people there. She was like, this is so stressful. Like, she said, everyone thinks I'm confident. And when it comes to this particular say a few words at a kind of, kind of professional drinks environment, that's quite difficult when you've got to be professional, but it's like a dinner or drinks. So it's got to be funny. It's got to be effortless. It's got to be – you've got to be – a effortless leader swanning in and just saying a few witty comments that absolutely hits the the right notes it's really really difficult and she was getting so stressed and I was saying well okay what we're going to do just let's just put down a few just tell a couple of stories because you 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 must know that you know the, the key to a great speech or the key to any presentation pitch anything is always a little bit of storytelling painting some pictures right but people get a bit nervous about that. Oh, I can't really tell a story. And I said, come on, let, let's just think of some, some material. And, and, and I said, tell me about the audience. Like, what could you say about him? What could you say about her? It's like, oh, no, that, that's not professional. Oh, no. I said, look, this is a really good tip. Let's just get down on a sheet of paper things that you could say. We can edit it later. Okay, this is the unfiltered, just brain dump anything that is relevant to that audience and those people, and it can be rude and cheeky and funny. Let's find the, let's play. Let's frigging play with this topic, right? Oh, no, you know, and, and, and this woman's particularly good at speaking languages, and we were kind of joking about the fact she can speak five languages. And um, she's like, oh, no, 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 I don't want to be a clown. Don't want to be a clown. <laughs> I said, look, I learned this when I was writing this book, okay? This, this is something I learned, and it's absolutely right. With It's the same as writing as it is for speaking, and, John, you will probably relate to this. You cannot have a creator, somebody that is bring, coming up with the material and ideas. You're an ideas person, right? You can't have your ideas person in the same room as your editor. And the thing is, when you're writing, you are the editor as well, and you're the ideas person, right? So... That's writer's block, isn't it? So you're, you're, you're thinking, oh, no, that's rubbish. Oh, no, that's rubbish. Wow. And the people I work with are quite analytical, a lot of them. And sometimes you cannot even go, you can't even start the, the, the speech or, or, the, or the presentation or the concept of it even, because already before you even start, oh, I'm not interesting. 
oh no, no one, nobody wants to know about me. They only want to know about the actual topic. Oh no, it's got to be credible. That's not credible. It's oh no, no, no. Um, it's too boring. The subject's really dull. Oh no, you, no. But then they're not going to think I'm this. I'm not good enough. I, you know, it's like I just said, stop editing yourself. <laughs> That's yeah, a good tip. That is a really good idea. So. Even in the strictest of environments where you're terrified of saying something wrong, just write down everything you think could be an option and then just don't show it to anybody. And then maybe come back the next day and go, okay, which one of these could I, could a version, you know, could I get away with? And then you can soften, you know, if you're taking the piss out of the head of IT, you know, you could soften it to a point where you're making clear you're laughing with them, not at them, you know. And of course, you, you know, don't install that app because Steve over there will kill you. And you, you can do something like that and probably you'll get away with it. Whereas if you if you actually go on a tirade, you won't. So there's always a way, isn't there, of finding something that you can use if it's going to hit the right tone. But it is difficult because getting the, that midline between funny and clown is important. Holding status and yet being humorous. Uh, I mean, some of that just comes with practice, I guess. Absolutely, and and I have, and I think I battled with my cork brand for many years. I thought people go, "Oh, you're so bubbly," and I just think, "Oh, I don't want to be bubbly. I don't want to be bubbly. I want to be mysterious." Mysterious, <laughs> <laughs> you know. I'm a blurter. I blurt things out. I'm a chatter. I talk too fast. I talk too much. But rather than beat myself up and 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 think I'm not as good as them because they're so slick. You know, somebody's got such great words. They've got these beautiful, beautiful vocabulary. They speak well. I could, you know, I wish I was like that. I, the more I've, I've realised, don't even worry about what anyone else is doing. Just forget what everyone else is doing and find your groove, find your lane, your path, whatever you want, how, however you want to describe it. When you find what you're good at, you're good at talking, you're good at chatting to people, you're good at making stuff up or whatever. Right. Stick with what you're good at and be really good at it and don't fight it and give yourself permission. And, and another really, really good tip and all an all round tip, which is good for fear. It's good for content. It's good for everybody. You just remember your audience don't give a monkeys. <laughs> they don't care. They literally don't care. And as a, as a former BBC producer, looking at the, the raw data of your viewing figures or your listening figures, and in television, you actually get figures overnight. People just get their remote control and they switch off because they're frigging bored because that's what audiences do. They switch off. They're not interested. So if you think about it like that, it's actually good in terms of your nerves because you can think, actually, the audience don't care. They don't care enough to bother judging you. If you're worried about being judged, forget it. The audience only care about themselves. They don't care about you. Yeah, and they they want you to succeed. It's very rare you get somebody in the audience going, oh, I really hope this person dies on their on their feet. You know, everyone's going, if you look a bit nervous, everyone's kind of willing you to, to be okay generally, and we forget that, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, you know, my general rule of thumb, don't be self-deprecating. And if you're a bit nervous, you know, when people go, oh, yeah, the best thing to do is get on stage and go, I'm really nervous. No, don't say that. <laughs> Just don't. Because that's some, that's 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 like a self-comfort thing. You're there on the – and it's really good – just a really – good mindset to be in when you're approaching any kind of speaking or on camera or conference call or town hall meeting or whatever you're there to serve your audience you're not there to comfort yourself 
So all this self-deprecating, oh, I'm not really good at tech, I'm not really good at that, that's, that's, that's for yourself. That's not for the audience. Serve your audience, give the audience what they need. And your audience need you to give them a decent message and a decent takeaway. And they need you to be in control. And they need you to just get up there and be brave. And the audience don't really care if you're nervous or not. They just want you to give them something. And I think quite often the penny drops with when I'm working with people. And they think, oh, gosh. Yeah, I've never actually thought of it like that. <laughs> I've never yeah. served my audience. And I've tried that before. And, you know, when I first experimented with public speaking, saying, oh, you know, I'm really nervous. And a friend said, don't do that. And 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 as you say, you know, one reason is it's kind of self-deprecating. But also what you're doing is you're kind of asking for permission to be nervous. And 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 the problem is it, it asks something of the audience and you should be giving. Particularly when you start. I did a comedy stand-up comedy course and um, – yeah, the amused moose. And on that oh, first, yeah, yeah, you know, amused moose. And and, and the no, first, yeah, well, the first, you, well, yeah, I don't. At the end of a twelve-week course, you do, um, you do a stand-up gig, and it's all beginners, and you bring your friends and stuff. And everybody, well, in fact, any beginner stand-up night, everyone comes up on stage and hi, how how's it going, everyone? And it's like. They, they all asked that question. After the sixth person has asked you, how's it going? I'm thinking like the same it was going 15 minutes ago. Get on with it. And so I noticed that and didn't do it. And I think saying I'm nervous, as you say, is for you. It's for, it's for you to discharge your nerves. And I understand my desire, but it doesn't, it doesn't help you and it doesn't serve anybody else, unfortunately. Actually, I did do stand-up um, comedy routine once when I was at college a long time ago. I think that's probably one, that was probably one of the. I've got a couple of um, experiences in my life, but that's probably one of the experiences that literally I literally lost a stone in weight, and I had to go to. The, I was going to the toilet every day, five times a day. <laughs> I was so nervous, and it was okay. It was a five-minute routine. It was at the King's Head in Crouch End because I went to Middlesex. It was years and years ago, and we actually worked with you know professional stand-up comedians. Um, it was just terrifying, and one of the reasons why. See, now when I look back on it, you know, I really beat myself up because I didn't get good, great um, grades. Everyone laughed, and the audience loved it. But in terms of you know, I I didn't get a huge, I didn't get like a whatever it is, a first. I didn't get a first for that module, and I beat myself up because I I kind of thought I should be better at this. I should be able to do this but instead I really I really struggled and the, the fear was it, I felt so sick and and that put me off public speaking as well because but again when I when I look back on that and dissect why it was why I felt so bad it's because you build up this one performance you know for three months you're concentrating on one performance if you were doing that performance seven times in a row you would it would almost be therapy you could get over it couldn't you you can just get over the whole public speaking thing because you've done it seven times. I mean, really, really, it is, it is the regularity of speaking. And today a, w a woman said to me, I was speaking at an event this morning, and she said, I'm okay, you know, sitting. I'm actually all right, public speaking, but as long as I'm sitting down. It's when I'm standing up that I can't, <laughs> I can't cope with it. And I said to her, look, my advice to you is this. Any given opportunity, even if it's a small meeting of five people, if you've got a, a flip chart or some reason to stand up and point at some slides or something, I said, any opportunity you can do from now on, 
stand up. Just the act of standing on two feet. Literally, this is a good tip. Standing on two feet with your feet planted, with your the gravitas comes from your gravity, the weight on your feet. Just the, the act of standing solidly with your feet planted is really good practice because it's something kind of exposes, isn't there, about standing up in front of an audience, no matter how big. So really that's that main tip is just get out there and do it and do it again and do it again and feel the fear and ride the sweat. <laughs> yeah. It, it, do you know um, Deborah Francis White? Who's, oh, yes. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I saw her give, she's... um. She's done stand-up. She's been, she does all sorts of stuff. She's been on radio for all sorts of times. And um, I saw her give a, give a talk about public speaking at the Hub. And one thing she says, the reason why, one of the reasons why public speaking is so scary is because you look out on the audience and you see a bunch of people who are looking directly at you and their heads are not moving. Now, in the animal world, when an animal looks at you and the head is not moving, it's because they've locked onto you as a prey. So if a, you know, if, if a, if something's afraid of you, you know, you, you see animals do this and kind of, they'll roll around. And stuff. But it, when a lion locks onto you and goes, yeah, I'm going to eat you, that their head is completely still. So she says there's something really base in that thing. And the other thing is that I learned from a client of mine, John Dawson, who does uh, public speaking stuff. He said, uh, um, he, he, he made a big thing of, of illustrating, but audiences usually look bored. So there is a kind of, but everyone has their concentrating face and boy, some of those are surprised. And normally some of those faces uh, look like, like, well, they look like someone switched their face off. And so it just going like that. And actually so that's, that's a bitch face. <laughs> yeah. And, that, and that's just what they do when they're concentrating. There was a, person i knew in the group i was in i would be as vague as that and whenever the leader was talking it was a training group she would look at them just like <sighs> like for the entire hour they were talking and then at the other extreme i had a friend who was very enthusiastic wanted to support me in the first ever group i ran in london with a small group of people um she as soon as i started sp- speaking she just went like oh, that, that really encouraging face and it was almost as off-putting as the other person. So you never know what people are going to do with their faces, but the fact that people look bored doesn't necessarily mean they're bored, does it? Absolutely. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, and again, this is practice. I, being an extrovert, you know, I desperately used to want some kind of, show me, show me. I want everyone to be going, <laughs> yes yes Esther you're so yeah you want everyone to be like that and and actually people sit there and they almost give you give you dirts as my daughter would say dirts dirts they're giving you dirty looks right I absolutely know and I have to sometimes mid-flow I have to say to myself keep going carry on like you know don't don't panic carry on because I absolutely sometimes the person that you think oh my god she hates me she hates my guts. She's looking in my shoes. She's looking me up and down. She hates my guts. She'll be the one that comes up afterwards. Okay. Oh, can you sign my book? Oh, oh God. You, have to. Goes, oh, you know what? You know what you said about, um, not about the audience. I think, I, I think I've been doing it wrong. I think, you know, I think she's, she's been sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, I think I've been boring my audience. So that's what she's been thinking. She's been internalizing her anxiety, but I've been, I've been on stage thinking, 
she hates me. She's giving me dirt. Right. It is the opposite. So never, ever assume, never assume. Um, you, and, and the thing is, I've also learned, and, and, I've, and when I speak to other speakers as well, sometimes the audience doesn't like you. You're not going to please everybody all of the time. But the best thing you could do is be yourself and serve the audience as best you can. And if people don't like you, sometimes just accept it. You know, if you're a bit of, if you're Marmite, some people will love you and some people will hate you. And you've got to just go with the flow and don't dumb yourself down or try and please everybody or try and not be yourself because you think that they're a bit, um, stuffy so you've got to suddenly be a bit stuffy like if you're not stuffy don't be stuffy if you're chatty just be chatty and even if you've got unchatty people in the audience that seem very very sensible and serious like why do they book you <laughs> yeah and that's a really good point and if we think of some of the most impressive people who could probably command the largest um fees for public speaking they are Marmite. If we, you know, Russell Brand, if he, if you called him into a corporate gig, imagine how much that would, money that would, that would cost. And he has very strong advocates and he has people who absolutely hate him. And, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk was saying, the social media guru, shouty man from New Jersey, as I call him. And it, I really like him, but, but I think a lot of people take against him. So I think, and the opposite end of extreme is I love watching Brian Eno talk. He's very quiet and considered, but he's just, his content is so fascinating. I never get bored of it. I've got a great one little tiny um, example of that. And, and I know this is a true story because my, my husband used to work in advertising. And so the advertising industry in the 80s had a lot of money sloshing around, a lot of kind of loads of money type characters, if you, if you remember Harry Enfield character. And they all went to some big conference. It might have been in Barcelona. And they got Billy Connolly as their speaker. You know, Billy Connolly, the big famous comedian, well, of course, Billy Connolly comes on within within a couple of minutes. He's like, oh, you know, he's doing kind of left wing politics, and it's really the the audience. I mean, I'm not really into. I'm not really a political animal, you know. I, I'm I know enough about it that I I would know not to book Billy Connolly for a bunch of basically politically right wing kind of money orientated kind of lads. You know, that environment, and it was it was just the wrong gig. He was the wrong person to book. Anyway, they started booing. He's like, yeah, you've got loads of money. Or something. He started like actually kind of referring to their wages and stuff. It was really bad. Anyway, they were like, boo, boo. Anyway, he had to get off the stage. Oh, my God. I think he had to fight in the bar afterwards. At that point in his career. That's amazing. So, but you were originally a BBC senior producer, and you, you, you met your celebs. Were any of them... I mean, were any of them kind of secretly actually quite shy or, or did they struggle with speaking, do you think? Or, oh, my goodness. I, I nearly many actors and performers and rock stars are introvert and they're really not very they, – they're actually quite awkward when you meet them in real life. Um, so, for example, Madonna is, is really awkward. She's so moody. She hates press. She's, she comes yeah. really cold. And I was such a huge fan. And when she she was two hours late, she left the entire, you know, the, the whole of the UK press in the Dorchester Hotel or wherever it was. It was the it was years ago. It was the premiere of Evita. So you've got Antonio Banderas, Alan Parker, the director, and Jimmy Nail from of Weeders Own Pet sitting on there and sitting ready to be interviewed. And we're kind of like ignoring them because we're waiting for Madonna for two hours. And then finally Madonna rocks up 
and then and we, we, by, by the time she turned up, we were kind of having sandwiches and chatting and, you know, there's quite a good atmosphere in, in the hotel. And as soon as she walked in, it was like, Shh. <laughs> you know, and she's just completely not warm. She's not a warm person at all. No. Well, she still isn't. She, cause you know, she was on Graham Norton just a couple of weeks ago. And it's just like, God, wow. that's weird. She's wearing that weird kind of corset thing and her boobs were spilling out of the yeah. top. And she was wearing an eye patch and yeah. So yeah, no, it's, it is amazing, and it's and it's. Um, but some people have made that part of their shtick, you know. It, I saw a great, funny video of Jerry Seinfeld, and he was at some awards thing, and this and a pop star runs up to him and says, "Can I give you a hug? I love you, Jerry Seinfeld." And he goes, "No, no, thank you." And she, and she goes like, she goes, he goes, "No, no, seriously, I want to give you a hug." He goes, "No, I'm good. I'm fine." No, <laughs> And, but he feels no awkwardness about it. He just smiles and goes, no, no, not going to happen. I mean, she wanders off and he says to the to the person who's interviewing him at the time when he was interrupted, who was that? And he goes, that was Lady Gaga. He goes, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and it, but that's, he doesn't have to, the nice thing is, he doesn't, uh, I mean, okay, he's worth $170 million, one of the most successful comics in the world and he works extremely hard. But so he's, he's earned his place, but, I think he was always like that. He knew who he was. You know, he's there are certain things he's great at, and he's a very friendly person. If you see him in the in the coffee show, which I love, um, but but there are, he doesn't like hugging random strangers, even if they're famous. And I remember I interviewed, had to interview Victoria Wood once, and she's famously very very shy, and she's really shy in real life. I mean, she has to have her kind of PR people there. She almost is holding their hand. She's just not, she's not comfortable in a kind of social environment at all. Really, really hated being interviewed, hated it. But really, you know, what an amazing woman, what an amazing writer and what an amazing personality when, when, when she's on screen. And, and I think a lot of big personalities, a lot of big rock stars and film stars, um, you think they're so confident and actually they're not that confident inside. Sometimes the bigger the character and the bigger the ego the bigger the inner demons. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, look at Robbie Williams. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I remember one time Alistair Campbell came in when he was the the spin doctor for the Labour Party, and he came in to do a live um, call-in show on the radio. And, and I think for some reason he didn't realise it was live or something, and he came in, we're going to go live in about four minutes. I'm like, oh, great, okay, Alistair, so you're going to come, you're going to be sitting on mic two here in the studio. And he's like, oh, is it live? Like, yeah, yeah, it's, yes, that's what you're here to do. Like, it's a live, because people are going to call in. I went, yeah, 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 it's a live call-in show. He's like, I don't know if I can do it. <laughs> and I went, what? You're, I thought he was joking. It's Alistair, right? Because I, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm up for it. He went, what if they ask me a question I can't answer? I'm, I'm like, what are you talking about? I said, don't worry, we do vet the calls. They come through to the studio, and then I'm looking at my watch like, Two minutes till live on air. Um, they, they come through to the studio. Look, we press line one. We look, see, we t- and I will personally take the calls. I'll make sure that we vet them for you. We'll get rid of the nutters. <laughs> Don't worry. We're going to know the question. They're gonna, they're, it's, honestly, it's going to be fine. So, like, are you sure? But what if, what if they swear? What if they, what if, what if? And I'm like taking him into the studio, leading him down, sitting him down, putting his headphones on his ears, going, you know, it's going to be absolutely three, two. <laughs> yeah, you can't leave now. And, and he, he wasn't presenting it. He was just co-presenting it. But, false. but he, that was, he was brilliant. He was such a brilliant presenter. 
because because he's kind of weird. He's kind of messed up. I don't know if I don't know if I like him or his politics or him as a person, but something about him that's really quite. He's quite edgy. He's quite. He's quite. Um, you know, he wears his heart on his sleeve. He was quite willing to be open. Um, and he's and quite um, open about his struggles with depression and and stuff like yeah. that. And and I he does interviews and GQ with um, with people. I don't know if he's still doing them. And they're absolutely fascinating. And they're real. <clears throat> feels like off the record things. I think what he interviewed um, Tony Blair once, and they you know discussed how they definitely were completely uh, not to blame for the Iraq war and didn't do anything wrong. So they agreed that between them, which is good for them to do. But but. <laughs> But other than that, they, they, he's, they're really interesting and you always get a feel like a, a behind-the-scenes kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, that's, he's a really interesting character. He's a good example of somebody that he's larger than life and he's quite tall and he's, you know, you think he's going to be really confident and he's, he's not, but he's willing to, he is willing to share. And I think obviously he's had a lot of therapy and it shows. And, and I, I like that about him because he's, he does kind of say, look, I'm not perfect. I've got so many flaws. Um, um, but but I, I was really surprised that he actually was um, nervous. He was nervous about doing it. I'm thinking, but you're always on TV. How can you be nervous? So the moment the story is everybody is a bit nervous. Everybody is worried about their reputation. Everybody's got inner demons. Everybody doesn't want to fail. Um, that That's a much better thing to think rather than imagining them naked. <laughs> That's really good. I, I like that. And and the more you do it, the more the calmer you become and and you know, the, the more regular it becomes. So um Yeah. So my message is please, if you are scared of public speaking, get out there and do it. But do read tips because it gives really good quick fix ideas of how to get your content in order so you don't have to reinvent the wheel and spend four times longer than you need to spend on prepping you know if you know some quick fix tools to get you ready to speak or do your meeting or do your conference call or whatever it is or your presentation or pitch you know it you can you can um overcome glossophobia the fear of public speaking quite easily if i can do it you can do it and, and honestly i was terrible i was really nervous and now it, you know, it's normal for me, and um, and I've helped so many people go from <gasps> to I nailed it, I nailed it. <laughs> I love it; it's fantastic. And it, and now you do it in big corporations. What kind of company? Banks and all sorts of stuff. Are there, are there any of you can share that you can tell us? Yeah, well, I work with the, the big four. I mean, I work a lot with Deloitte. I, I work with Barclays. I just their conference the other day. Um, Santander. I've spoken at JP Morgan. I've spoken all over the world. I spoke at Harvard the other week. I've spoken at all the major universities, Oxford, Cambridge, um, LSE. So when you're speaking, are you speaking about how to speak? Yeah. I mean, so I, I, it's always about personal impact. That's what, that's the, that's the word you see, personal impact. It's all about personal brand, personal impact, how to have more gravitas, how to have more presence, how to pitch, how to speak like a leader. And, and, and anything to do with confidence and expressing yourself. Um, last night I was at an event and it was called How to Network When You Hate Small Talk. <laughs> so that was about, that's about not so much public speaking, but it's the off the cuff when you've got to be a personality. Now, how can you just walk in the room and be and have a personality when you're thinking, oh God, I hate this. 
Um, and that's, that's, that always gets good results. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, great stuff. So if people want to check out the book, it's available everywhere in all good bookshops, is it not? And on Amazon, Goodbye Glossophobia by Esther Stanhope. Banish Your Fear of Public Speaking, lovely. Limited edition. Oh, yeah, that's because this is the colour version. If you, you can get a cheaper black and white version, but it still has the colour. The color. But my website is a good place to get it, estherstanhope.com, but Esther is spelt with an H, E-S-T-H-E-R estherstanhope.com right great that's been fantastic Esther thank you very much cheers thanks John thanks for listening to this episode of the Ideas Lab podcast please do subscribe and if you've enjoyed this episode it would be great if you could leave us a review you can get links and details of everything mentioned in the podcast in the show notes along with photos and video clips from many of our episodes. Just go to theideaslab.org forward slash podcast.